0: Hola, hello! Thank you for tuning in to Mujeres No. Hey everyone, it's Natalie here. How's everyone doing today? I hope well. So this episode today is super, super special. Uh, I was trying to like keep my composure when I was talking to this guest because I kind of had a fangirl moment with her. (laughs) I'm not sure if you're familiar with what that means, but I am a fan of her. And to be honest, I am a fan of all the guests that I have on this podcast. I'm so excited to share with you guys who the guest is. Her name is Renee sanchez Le. And she is the director of operations at Society 204, a co-working community in Edinburgh, Texas. So let's go ahead and bring her in, ask her some questions, and let's get to know Renee better. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where were you born and raised and what was your upbringing like?
1: Yeah, sure. So I was born in McAllen, raised in Westlaco, uh, but I went to school for my formative years in uh, Montalto. My mom was a teacher there for 37 years, and that's where a lot of my upbringing took place. I grew up in a very close-knit, tight-knit community. I'll never forget my eighth grade graduating class was 40 total students in the entire district. I was very fortunate to have very close friends, so much so that I consider a lot of them extended family. I'm very lucky to have the background that I do. I'm half Hispanic and I'm half Anglo. And so for me, it presented a unique way of living because I kind of felt torn between two cultures sometimes, right? So I definitely faced a lot of teasing and bullying when I was younger because I wasn't Hispanic enough, right? And as I got older, then it was when I moved away for college, it was, oh my gosh, you're not white enough. And so I never really felt like culturally I had a place that I fit in. And that's okay. I think a lot of that shaped me to become this you know, strong, tough-skinned kind of woman because You don't have time to feel sorry for yourself when you've got big lofty goals in life. So, you know, my parents have always taught us to be independent and outgoing, outspoken in things that are important to us. My dad didn't have any sons, so he raised us to be very strong. Women, right? So we learned about cars early on. We were his little grease monkeys. We were his pit crew, and he would, you know, drag race and do different things. I could work on a car so much easier before I knew how to make anything in the kitchen outside of a bowl of cereal. Um, (laughs) You know, and with my mom and her background in education, it just became very apparent that we were sort of setting ourselves up to be very strong willed, very stubborn, a very smart and advantageous women, you know, myself, you know, I'm very fortunate that the businesses that I own and then run, I'm in a position where I'm able to do so very freely. My middle sister's in education. My baby sister is the assistant director for communications for a charter schools program out of state in Ohio. And so we're in front of a lot of people. We have very important roles where we're at. And so I credit that to the way that my parents raised us and taught us because too many Many times I feel that women are kind of given this submissive role of, you know, the traditional stereotype, the barefoot pregnant stay home. And that's, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying that there is right. Everybody plays a very important role in whatever it is that they're doing in life. And there's definitely moments where I'm like, man, I wish that I stayed home too, but that's not my personality. And that's not the God given talents that I possess. I believe that my parents saw these tough little girls and said one day they're going to be strong, tough women. And we are. It's amazing being able to look back on my childhood and say, like, that's what formed this opinion or this is the memory that channels this emotion. And, and I can recollect all of those things.
0: Definitely. And I noticed, you know, when I see your pictures, you dress very girly. But were you <laughs> <laughs> were, were you like a tomboy growing oh, up? Because also I noticed you listen to rock music. So yeah. I, I was wondering, were you a tomboy? Uh, a boy or how yeah, was that
1: super, I was super tomboyish. I climbed trees. I kept trying to jump off the roof. I made mud pies. You know, I just, <laughs> I was always outside. I wanted to get my hands dirty and whatever it was that I was doing. My first career path that I thought I was going to be was an aerospace engineer. I even, that was my major, my freshman year of college, because I wanted to be in the trenches. I wanted to be working with my hands and and kind of this like grunt work sort of stuff I, that appealed to me. Yeah. I was in- And people will say, oh, well, you were in cheerleading. Well, cheerleading, if you see the injuries that can take place in cheerleading, cheerleading is very much a sport. I will fight tooth and nail for that. Um, And so, you know, I was just super tomboyish, went through like a little goth emo phase too. So I was just kind of all over the place trying to discover who I was. This girly side of me that you see now, that happened in the like last four years. (laughs) Okay. And I think a lot of that shifted um, when I transitioned my career out of the medical industry and into a more professional or a different professional setting, right? Mm-hmm. So I wasn't hiding behind a desk and doing paper pushing for medical clinics anymore. I was now in front of people. I was having to coordinate events and doing public speaking engagements. So I definitely had to dress the parts, the black nail polish, the dark purple lipstick, the really heavy eyeliner that all kind of phased out. As I realized that the older I got, I needed to start putting out the presentation that was going to solidify my brand because I understood that in branding, you know, and being the face of whatever, whether it was my own personal business or the business that I'm running for somebody else, I have to look presentable. I have to look professional and, and I have such an affinity for high heels. So the two just kind of go hand in hand.
0: (laughs) Definitely. I know that you are the director of operations at Society 204, a co-working community in Edinburgh, Texas. And I know you guys just had your grand opening Mm -hmm. and I was wondering how was that like? And most of all, how did that feel? We actually opened,
1: we moved into this building that we're in now, which is a spacious 12,000 square foot building right in the heart of downtown Edinburgh across from the courthouse. And it used to be the old J.C. Penney building built in 1929. So there's a lot of history with this building. We moved in in June of last year. Uh, Society 204 had its ribbon cutting September 1st. The ribbon cutting we just had on Tuesday was actually for our expansion site. So Mm -hmm. within a six-month time frame, less than a six-month time frame from the last ribbon cutting, we added on another 7,000 square feet. So I'm currently Mm -hmm. the director of operations for 19,000 square feet of luxurious, prestigious workspace in downtown Edinburgh. And there was a moment on Tuesday evening when I looked at my boss, Nick Cantu, and we burst into laughter because it was almost this like relief. Because for the last year, through the pandemic, mind you, we moved from our original building, which was 4,000 square feet of rental space that we were renting. This building was purchased at the end of February. We were kind of navigating and it was funny because it popped up on my Facebook memories this morning about like the first coronavirus post I'd ever made on social media about cough into your arm wash your hands stay home if you're sick and this was before masks and everything right it was a weird eerie kind of post to recollect on we were navigating okay we're gonna have a remodel crew on site like how do we make sure that people are safe how do we make sure people are healthy we got the building permit like three days later everything shut down Yeah. Okay. uh wow so, we're doing construction and remodel at the beginning of COVID. We're moving into the building at the height of COVID. And now, as vaccinations and stuff are rolling out, we expanded. I don't know too many other businesses that were thriving or thrived to the extent of such a huge expansion in the, you know, double expansion in the middle of the COVID pandemic. And I think that's not only a testament to Nick and and the leadership that he has, but I think that it's a testament on the community here in the Rio Grande Valley, where our culture thrives and is so deeply rooted in community and the people who are here. When you tell people you can't see their loved ones and you can't Hang out with your friends. There's a lot of pushback in our space because it's so big. Social distancing is easy. We have private offices so businesses could continue to be productive and successful in the privacy of their own space where they could conduct business and day to day operations in a really safe and healthy space because we handled all of the logistics. They didn't have to worry about disinfecting or sanitizing stuff. I mean, we went above and beyond because I have the medical experience. I used to to do trainings on infectious disease control in my past life. This was kind of like a really seamless flow for us to be able to implement all these policies. We kind of paused and laughed on Tuesday because it was the first time that we kind of saw the culmination of all of our hard work formulating. And it was a beautiful sigh of relief because kind of our big projects at least for the next couple of months, are over. Yeah. It's nice when you see the community come together. It's nice when you have the support of your family and friends. They're going to you know, be behind you in whatever you do. But to know that complete strangers were walking through the building and were in complete awe of what we were presenting for them, I couldn't have asked for a better evening. By before 5 p.m. today, I had three offices already reserved out oh. because of the event on Tuesdays. So we're very lucky. We're very fortunate. We're very blessed. I'm just, I'm thrilled that I get to be at the helm of this and to help take the co-working community and the foundation that's already been laid for us and just continue that upward movement.
0: Yeah, it's, to me, it's unbelievable and unheard of what you guys have done with COVID (laughs) and happening. It leaves me in disbelief, really does. And I want to ask (laughs) you, what has it been like for you to witness all of your efforts come together? How has it been working for a business center like Society 204?
1: First off, we are a business center, but we're so much more than that, right? We're a co-working space mixed with private offices, mixed with event space. On billing, we're co-working space. You know, we do offer the same features and more than a, a traditional business center would. As far as all the uh, hard work and, and the efforts and everything coming together, I definitely go to bed a lot later than I used to. I definitely wake up a lot earlier than I used to. I'm pretty much working all the time. Everything becomes inspiration. Everything becomes motivation. And I'm really okay with that. You know, I used to work 14 hour shifts when I worked at medical clinics. And so, especially right now, like traditionally this would be flu season. So we would be bombarded with patients and there was no time off. And I would lament about, man, I just, I can't see me living this life on purpose. I was a receptionist. I did medical records. So I wasn't a practitioner or a specialist or anything. I threw myself into everything I did. I mean, I was very proud of whatever work I put out, but I just couldn't see myself making a life and a career doing that consistently for the rest of my life. Yeah, This has never felt like work, Natalie. It's always felt like passion and drive. And I don't mind the getting up early. I don't mind the staying up late. I don't mind coming in on weekends. If anything, like I volunteer for more hours and different things and let's try this and let's do that. And I'm always giving myself more work because I love what I do. And for me, the culmination of of a hard day's work isn't so much in having a new member sign up, right? And filling out the contract and processing it. That's great business-wise, like on paper, like you want obviously that generation. But when I get to see my members be successful, when they close, a big deal. Or like for us, we have attorneys in here too. So when they win a case for their client and they're happy, I'm happy. Um, There's a reason why we have a small bar, a small speakeasy within our workspace is because we want to be able to celebrate the highs, right? Or to kind of maybe like lament in our sorrows sometimes, <laughs> depending. But building community, celebrating with people, watching them lead successful business lives. I'm over the moon like I, I'm almost speechless as far as what that does for me. I, it's very like proud mom with like personal cheerleader you know I, I want to do a backhand spring which let's be honest I've been at a cheerleading for 16 years so it's not a good <laughs> idea but I have so, like I get so amped up yeah. when I know that they're doing well and sometimes I cry out of pure happiness. because I want to see my friends because people who come here, I mean, they're not just members. They're not just businesses. These are people that I get to know day in and day out. I see them every day. When they're having a hard day, I can tell it becomes personal for me. I I wear a lot of hats as the director of operations uh, because truthfully, it's just myself and Nick running the show here. And so we're the janitor and we're the handy people and we do everything. We get to know the people and the businesses that are headquartered out of the society compound. I could not be prouder to know these people and to watch their businesses grow. So for me, that's what I get to witness every day. Sure, I'm putting in all of this hard work and effort, but at the end of the day, the gratification comes from knowing that they're being successful.
0: Wow. I love that. Thank you for sharing, (laughs) Renee. And I wanted to ask you, besides work, I know there are a couple of personal journeys that you are going through. Mm -hmm. And if you are open to talk about it, how has living with a disorder like endometriosis been for you? And what has helped you endure this disorder?
1: So I got diagnosed officially with endometriosis when I was 18 but I was diagnosed at 15 with PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder. I've been really fortunate that the medical practitioners in my life that were handling, you know, my care, I never had to advocate, right? I never had to say like, this hurts so much and them not believe me for that. I'm, I'm super grateful because I started getting kind of like focused care right away. And I know that's not the case for most women out there dealing with endometriosis. Now for me, it's a weird thing to wrap your head around, right? So with endometriosis, Um, For those that aren't familiar, it's the endometrium tissue that is supposed to be shedding. I mean, we're going to get a little graphic here, but that's what's your period, right? So you have the egg and then you have like the endometrium lining and that's what sheds when you get your period. Mm -hmm. For us, our endometrium tissue somehow, and that's why there's so much discourse with what happens because it somehow ends up in places it's not supposed to be. So for me, my endometrium tissue ends up fusing into my lower back on the sides of my abdomen. So nowhere near my cervix or any of the places like it's supposed to be at. And so my periods were always really uncomfortable, very painful. For about two weeks, I would be just in excruciating pain. Yeah. I would miss school the first one or two days of my period. I rem- clearly remember one moment in college. I went to school my freshman year at Texas A&M University in College Station. So I'm seven hours away from home. i having to do this whole adult thing by myself. I'll never forget being absolutely doubled over in pain in the fetal position on my dorm bed. My roommate grabbed a towel and soaked it in the shower, wrung it out, threw it in our little like microwave that we had in there to heat it up. And I used that as a heating pad to no avail. I mean, I was just in so much pain. And so I went to the medical clinic on campus they kind of did a bunch of blood work and labs and different things. I had my first sonogram, which is weird. Because I was like, well, isn't that only for pregnant women? Yeah. Um, but that was where I got diagnosed with endometriosis and dysmenorrhea, which is very heavy bleeding. I would become anemic. I mean, it was just, it was a whole mess of things. They put me on the pill and I was on the pill probably 10, 11 years. I was on birth control and that really seemed to help quell a lot of the symptoms that I was feeling because birth control is a hormonal suppressant and so I wasn't ovulating. I didn't have all that extra tissue buildup. But with birth control, obviously you're not getting pregnant. I got married in 2013. That's when you start talking about having babies before you get married. once you get married, the conversations really become a little more realistic. We had to make some decisions as far as weighing the costs. You know, do I deal with the endometriosis and try our chances at getting pregnant?
0: Yeah. So my next question is related to that. I've also seen you share information about infertility. And Mm -hmm. is that something you're willing to share more information with the listeners about?
1: Yeah. So I... I definitely don't shy away from that because I understand that it's a taboo topic, but it's definitely a topic where I felt very alone. Yeah. So in 2013, we got married. I actually got off of the pill January of 2014. And as married couples do, you go right into actively trying to conceive a baby. Yeah. My husband's 12 years older than me. So we kind of had some, I don't want to say doubts, but we just, in the back of your head, you're like, okay, like I was 26, 27, gosh, I don't remember. That feels like forevers ago. But I was in my mid twenties and he was in his late thirties. I mean, we kind of gave ourselves sort of this like realistic chance, but again, you're excited, this is new, you, you want to add to your family. And after six months in, you get excited, right? Every month I would buy like bulk pregnancy tests. And that first month I got my period and you're like, okay, well, you know, you didn't really think it was going to happen like right away. And then the second month and then the third month, by the fifth month, I started to become very heartbroken Mm -hmm. and I would take pregnancy tests. I mean, like I would wake up the morning that my period was due and if it hadn't started by 10 o'clock in the morning, I was already like taking a test. Yeah. And you would see that negative and your heart just shatters because you so badly want it to be a plus sign. And then I thought like, well maybe I'm not buying the right ones, right? Like maybe I need to upgrade and we just bite the bullet and you buy the digital ones, there's no doubt. And so now you're buying like $15 pregnancy tests in bulk and they're still coming out, not pregnant, not pregnant, not pregnant. After the first year and consistently crying every month and having spent, God, hundreds of dollars on pregnancy tests, I made an appointment with my doctor. You know, we kind of went through some of the things. She's like, look, I need, we're going to order some tests. We're going to do some blood work. We're going to look at a couple things. And then we'll go from there. And the first thing I remember telling her was, look, I don't want to do the really heavy ones. Like, I want to do the, like, the more benign ones. Like, the ones that are not going to hurt so badly, right? Like, let's do blood work. Let's do tracking and different things. Like, I wanted to do more of, like, the a holistic sort of approach on on the testing before we got to the really heavy stuff, the more invasive procedures. And so we did that for about a year, still nothing. She prescribed me some prenatal vitamins because again, with my endometriosis, I would become anemic for two weeks every month. So she thought like being on these like prescription based prenatals that it would really kind of boost up my vitamin levels on different things. Uh, you know, vitamin C, vitamin D, different things, my iron levels. And so I was taking those religiously. And I mean, I was trying to do everything by the book, right? And I was tracking my ovulation and doing the basal temperatures. Whatever was out there, I did it, right? And nothing. So I'm approaching my 30th birthday, going again for my annual. And she's like, okay, we've been doing this for a while. It's time we kind of step it up, right? so we go in we do the the heavy-duty procedures um, which is an HSG test but the gist is it's an x-ray of your ovaries and fallopian tubes to ensure that everything's still intact because that could be a real possibility right I mean your fallopian tubes could potentially not be connected to your ovaries especially with endometriosis and um, there's no way for you to even ovulate so I go in for this exam the most painful procedure I've ever had in my life because what they do is they inject your cervical area with with iodine and then take these x-rays for contrast. You have to get rid of the iodine and your body basically goes into contractions. You're you're basically going into labor, but there's no baby to show for it. So that in itself was a huge mind mess <laughs> for keeping it PG. I've experienced labor pains and contractions with nothing to show for it which throws you when you're already hormonal and you're already so desperate it just messes with you really badly and so I was pretty sad and depressed for a while got the results back come to find that my cervix which is supposed to be shaped like a v is pulled back towards my spine because of the endometrium tissue okay with all of that factored in, and then my ovaries are showing signs at 30. This was at 30. I'm 32 now. At 30, they were showing signs of premenopausal symptoms or significance. All the stars have aligned to ensure that my chances are low. Low, low, low. On a percentage level, I'm at 18% of a chance of getting naturally pregnant. So, as explained by my doctor, anything below 20%, you're on paper, your diagnosis is infertile. So... For somebody, you know, who was really excited to start a family with her husband and to get that information, it sucks. So now you're having to contend with that information and that process and you just feel broken. You feel like a really crappy woman. Like you're not, you're not a real woman, right? Yeah. It took me the better part of a year to sort of get myself out of that thought process. I remember sharing about it on Facebook for the first time. My husband will be the first to tell you that he thinks I share too much of my life on social media, (laughs) but I do so because I felt very alone in my journey. I felt like I was the only one going through this. Everybody around me was having babies and I was the only one who didn't and wasn't and couldn't. So, when I shared it, it was mostly because I knew statistically, I knew there had to be somebody else out there who felt like that, who was experiencing that. Exactly. I never expected the responses, the sheer magnitude of the responses that I got. Girlfriends that I had in high school, you know, people I've known for years, women, men sharing their wives' journey with me. And it was all very private. They were messaging me on Messenger or through my um, Instagram direct messages. And just thank you for sharing. Sharing Renee, I felt so by myself in this, and to know that you're going through it too. We can do this together. Even just today, you know, I have somebody that shared her fertility journey with me and and was telling me that she's trying this other holistic approach, and, you know, maybe it would be something that I would be interested in trying too. And so it gave me. Hope. I found a really deep sense of peace in God's plan because a lot of times when we face adversity, the first person we complain to is why God, why? I tried so hard not to do that. But you have your moments of weakness, and there was definitely moments where I questioned God and and felt like, why are you picking on me? Like I've gone through so much growing up and all of the trials and tribulations that I've discussed or haven't discussed, and just Lord, why? And then I realized that the platform that I have, and I'm not saying, you know, like I have all these followers and friends and, you know, people who pay attention, but the caliber of the information I was sharing, my story and that testimony and the amount of people who were responding to it to tell me that I wasn't alone, but now they didn't feel alone. I was like, God, this is why. Lord, I know why. I am (laughs) loud. I have a platform and I can use it to make other women feel less lonely in their journey and so I looked at it almost as a blessing and that's not to say that you know we're still not considering it and we're still not trying and, and all of that but I know I have a lot of love to give and whether that child is mine biologically or we've adopted them and they grew in my heart or if I'm just the really cool aunt and the nana gives to give a really cool Christmas presents for the rest of her life like I'm okay with that life too and so it's such a taboo topic and I understand why but at the same time I feel like it's a topic that because we shy away from talking about it, women retreat into themselves and feel less than and we're not. We're not less than the woman who gives birth or the woman who adopted. We are still strong and we are still very much so a woman to our core whether we birthed a child or not or can or can't. I know women who probably could have a child and don't because that's not what they feel is what they want for their life and that's okay too. I think it's just a matter of embracing what womanhood means for everyone everybody and stop defining that a woman's worth or definition is based solely on whether she can conceive a child or not
0: definitely you said that perfectly and i want to thank you for being so vulnerable and brave and because i know that's not easy to talk about so just thank you (laughs) renee for sharing that and the next question i have is what helps you refocus and maintain balance it sounds like you know you've been through some things in life and how do you find motivation
1: it's definitely been a work in progress it's still a work in progress I try to give myself at least especially like I said I work all the time I feel like I work all the time and with the move and the expansion and the remodel and the new construction and just the last year's been almost a blur a happy blur but a blur I've definitely lacked on kind of keeping myself balanced and sane and focusing on self-care more so than I would like but that's kind of one of my big pushes for the next quarter starting in April I really want to focus again on just everybody calls it self-care or me time and all of that but for me it's just I get to turn I want moments where I can turn my brain off right I own two businesses a communication consulting firm I'm also a notary public and a notary signing agent and then I run Society 204 uh, for Nick but you know, with all three of those things going on, obviously, I mean, I'm going to be thinking about work all the time because those jobs are very fluid. I can set whatever schedule I want for the most part. And so work can happen on Sunday. It can happen on Saturday. It can happen Monday at 7am. It can be Friday at 8pm. It's all of those things. For me, my escape is anywhere near water. And with COVID this past year, with the beaches being shut down, it really ate into my ability to just go and escape and unwind. And so this year, I, I just told my husband, I was like, look, COVID be damned. We've been vaccinated already. We're going. I just, I need to get back to my safe place and just use that to recharge my batteries because I mean, you can only go a million miles a minute for so long. Yeah. I'm not a runner. I hate to run. So this whole endurance thing, it's starting to wear on me and I just, I need to breathe. And so I wish I could tell you like, oh yeah, I've got it all balanced and focused and I'm like, I've got a really great like work ethic and I can balance my home life and, fr- and I don't, I'm awful at it right
0: now. No, thank
1: you for sharing that because a
0: lot of people think we're super right? No, we, yeah. we have our... issues you know (laughs) Uh,
1: when I started working in the co-working aspect that was the one thing you know I kind of worked into my like job description and and contract if you will was I'm going to take mental health days so like up on Wednesday I want to go to the beach or I want to stay in bed I'm going to take a mental health day obviously Mm -hmm. I didn't take any the last year but I think I'm going to start cashing those in (laughs) once things start getting into the routine here with the new spaces it'll be it'll be good but yeah I I don't have it all figured out out right now. But motivation, I don't lack on. I, and I think that's the problem is that I'm so highly motivated that I don't know when to stop. That's my focus for the next
0: quarter. <laughs> gotcha. That sounds really good. And my last question for you, Renee, is if you could give advice to a young girl or a woman who hopes to flourish in a career and be very involved in her community just as you are, what would you tell her?
1: I would tell her, <laughs> I would tell her that you are destined for amazing things, and whether you reach your dream or achieve your goal, that's not, that's not the point. The point is to engage with the path that you're on. I always thought I was gonna be an aerospace engineer. And then I wanted to be an archeologist. And then I wanted to be a lobbyist for the healthcare industry. And then I wanted to be a lawyer. And now I run three businesses. So the journey that you're on is not predetermined. You get to set whatever you want to do. And if you want to go to the moon or to Mars, whatever you want to do, you can. The only person stopping you is you. We were put on this earth for amazing and wonderful things. And it amazes me that we're our worst enemy and also our biggest supporter. And one of my biggest mottos, and and I'll share that with any young girl or woman who's kind of caught in between what they want to do. For me, life is too short to not know what could have been of yourself. And so if you've got a goal, do whatever you have to to try to achieve that. And if you don't, that's okay. You've learned from that, right? If you want to make a million dollars in one year, then you do it. You work at it, you strive, and you never give up. And the second thing I think that's a huge, it's very ingrained in who I am. People who have met me, who have talked to me, this is my genuine self. I don't put on this facade or anything. Support other women in your community, okay? There are women who have forged the path that you are on. And it would be remiss to their memory and to that history for you to hate on another woman because her light is shining. Her flame does not diminish your own. Her sparkle does not lessen your brightness. We are all in this together. And it only benefits you to support those around you and to love them and cheer them on. And with International Women's Day coming up on Monday, that message could not be more important. Women hold the power. Women are the strongest creatures on the planet. We just have to remind ourselves of that every single day. So, whatever you want to do, go for it. I believe in you, I support you, and I love you.
0: Oh my goodness, that, that's powerful. You can't see me, but I'm here <laughs> nodding my head just in agreement with you. I'm like, oh my, that's very powerful. And I totally agree with you. And thank you for sharing that. You're <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Mujeres in the No podcast. Um, I'm so glad that anybody who listens, I really appreciate it. And I know I say thank you so much, but I can't say thank you enough. And thank you again to Renee for uh, being a guest on the podcast and sharing all you did. I know it's not easy talking about some of those topics, but you did. And I want to thank you for that. Until next time, please be safe out there. Cuidado, por favor. And we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Adios.